And so this morning, as we get started, and as we consider that transition from last week, that chair one idea of someone who just needs to come and see Jesus, that's where we find ourselves in the story today, of a wee little man that just wanted to see Jesus. Oh, how I can relate. You get it? I'm short. Yeah, come on, wake up, people. This will go a lot better if you're with me. The fact that this whole message is about me because I'm short. That's why I moved to Hong Kong where I feel taller. See, now we're waking up. Good. I want to ask you a question. In your life, can you remember any of those really big moments that changed everything? You remember those? The kind that if you were to start your book that you're all destined to write in your head, you've said it a million times, if I wrote a book, it would start here. I thought a lot this week as I was preparing. I thought about the first time Melissa held me at my hand and I still remember the emotions. <gasps> She's the one. That was a big moment. Or when I saw each of my three children and met them for the first time and we hadn't chosen a name for our son. And I specifically remember that of thinking, I hope she chooses Isaiah because that's his name. And that was a huge moment. But one of the most transformative moments in my life came from a man named Pastor Price. But it's not the one you're thinking of. The one you're thinking of was sitting right next to me when this statement was said. Pastor Mark Price was on my right. I believe Albert Chang was on my left. When a man named Charles Price got up in front of the St. Andrew's Church, well, the Keswick Church community back when we did Keswick, and he was preaching his way, I believe it was through First and Second Corinthians. He had one week to cover two of the heaviest books in the Bible. And he said, if you remember nothing else, I don't remember exactly how he said it, but he said, remember this, for this we have Jesus. And where I was in my life and where I was in that very moment, not really wanting to be at Keswick that day, I had other more important things to do right up until that moment that statement was made. I believed that. But then everything shifted. My perspective changed. My outlook at how I viewed all sorts of things changed. Because I was like, in my circumstance, in my situation, if you've gone through ask it, you might ask it a different way. You might say, given my current circumstances, my past history and my current reality, what's the wise thing to do? For me, the wise thing to do is to always start with the statement, for this we have Jesus, no matter what. You open your Bibles to Luke chapter 19 and you find these words. Follow along as I read them. Uh, Pastor Stan did a great job, but I want to make sure you didn't miss anything. And so I'm going to read just 10 verses rather quickly. If you, don't, if you can't keep up, the words are on the screen and you can follow there. And it says this, Jesus entered Jericho. Let's stop. Jericho, remember the mighty Jericho. They walked around the walls for six days. On the seventh day, they did it seven times. They screamed, trumpets blew, and the walls came down. Pastor Stan reminded us that the walls got built back up. False gods were invited in and Jericho became a very pagan place of worship and of trade. It became a very important economic place, but it didn't become a place where the holiness of God was truly valued. We just sang one of my... There we go. One of my favorite hymns, Holy, 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 Lord God Almighty. Jericho was not a place that was screaming that from the rooftops. 
Jericho was a place that was singing, money, money, money. Lord God Almighty is money. Can we relate at all? If we looked around our city, maybe there's a, a, a reaction there. So that's where we find this. And of all those making money, we're introduced to a man named Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector and he was wealthy. How did he get his wealth? Well, briefly, let me explain. If you grew up in the church, you've heard this story millions of times, but I don't think we've thought about it in context of what all really goes on here. You see, he would gain his income by what he charged his tax collectors under him on top of what the Roman government expected to be paid in taxes. So it was all about what you could extort from other people. Not only that, that was how he would receive his salary. His salary would come out of whatever was taken extra from the required tax. So there was one strike against this guy that he wasn't already popular. Second, he was a Jew that found favor with the Romans or else he wouldn't have been a uh, chief tax collector. So not only was he a tax collector, but he was a Roman sympathizer. Imagine being some of Jesus' disciples that were zealots that hated Rome. Just think for the moment about that dynamic that's going on as this story begins. There's Zacchaeus, a tax collector that would not have been well-received, would have been considered unclean, a cheat, a robber most likely, in the eyes of the world. But he wanted to see who Jesus was. Chair one. He wanted to see who Jesus was. But because he was short, woohoo, he could not see over the crowd. I feel you, Zach. And so he ran ahead and climbed a sycamore tr- fig tree to see him since Jesus was coming that way. Sycamore figs, they grow wide and they don't grow crazy tall. Their branches are big and strong and they are climbable. Trust me, I've done it when I was a kid. And when Jesus reached the spot where Zacchaeus was in a tree much like this one, this is a sycamore fig tree, if you can look in the background, he said, Zacchaeus, you come down, come down immediately. I must stay at your house today. Bold move by Jesus inviting himself into somebody's house. But since you already knew his name, why not go have lunch with him? So he came down at once and welcomed him gladly. Zacchaeus doesn't say, who are you that knows my name? He comes down, he leaps down, you could say, and he welcomes him gladly. And all the people saw this and began to mutter, he's gone to be a guest of a sinner. Oh, Jesus, how dare you? But Zacchaeus stood up and said to the Lord, 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 here and now I give half of my possessions to the poor. And if I've cheated anybody out of anything, I will pay back four times the amount. Levitical law said pay back 20%. uh, Zacchaeus is saying, I'll pay back 400 His economics are off because his generosity is huge because he's been transformed. We'll talk about that. Jesus said to him, today salvation has come to this house because this man too is a son of Abraham. He's been adopted into the family through me. For the son of man came to seek and save the lost. Lord, would you bless the reading and understanding of your word this morning? The first thing we see that we've got to start with is there was a call, there was a stirring, there was a curiosity, whatever you want to call it, but right away, there's something missing in Zacchaeus' life that's causing him to go see Jesus. 
We're not given a picture into what caused Zacchaeus to want to go see Jesus. We just know that it was an incurable call. He had to get to Jesus. Why do I know he had to get to him? Because if it's just a blasé sort of, yeah, maybe I'll do that, you're not going to run to race in front of the crowd. But that's exactly what, what I'm, who I'm going to call Zach for the rest of the sermon because it's easier to say. That's exactly what Zach did. He ran to get in front of the crowd. He ran to find a tree he could climb. Something in his life was missing. And you have to wonder, was he hoping Jesus might have something that he needed? Zacchaeus went out of his way to see Jesus. How many people in your life need to see a picture of Jesus, but they don't know where to look. You see, this is very much a church message. I know all of us have heard Zacchaeus many times, but this is all about the climb. You see, because Jesus trumps Zacchaeus' pursuit of him, all the while we call this the effective calling of God on our lives, uh, as we proclaim the good news of Jesus Christ, the Holy Spirit is working in hearts to prepare them to hear and receive that message. So as Zacchaeus has this burning inside of him, as he chases, as he climbs, Jesus in his abundant perfection, but still fully man, shows up at the right time and calls Zacchaeus' name. Not only did Zacchaeus want to see Jesus, but this, as he's known in, this, in the culture of the time when this was written, this rabbi, this different kind of prophet, this different guy wanted to see Zacchaeus. Zacchaeus was a man of little repute. People wouldn't like him. The only friends he would have had were probably fellow tax collectors or people that liked the parties he could throw because of the wealth he had. He probably didn't have a lot of people in his life that truly loved him. Maybe that's what drew him up the tree. We don't know. But there was something. But can you imagine that feeling when a man you've never met, a man you've heard wonderful things about, too wonderful to declare, looks up at the tree you're climbing up, you've climbed up in to see, and says, Zacchaeus, you come down. I'm going to have a meal with you today. You don't deserve that. Jesus seems as far as anyone can tell, to be this amazing man. What on earth would he want to do with me? But that's the thing about the effective call of God. It finds us where we are. He finds us where we are, and he speaks to our hearts. You see, not only did Jesus call on the very name of Zacchaeus to say, you come down because I'm going to spend time with you, but he did that next bit. He made time for Zacchaeus. We're not told where the rest of the crowd went. All we know is Zacchaeus was seen by Jesus. And when he was seen by Jesus, he was commanded very strongly, you come down because I'm going to eat with you today. I've made time. I've opened up my Google Cal and my day is clear. It's all yours, Z. You and me are going to have a chat. Jesus made time for the hungry. He made time for the climber. He made time for the curious. 
And he also, for everyone around that was watching, we're told a crowd was there. Use your imagination to figure out how big a crowd this was. I don't know. But what I do know is there was a crowd watching and Jesus models a different way of treating sinners. You come on down, Zach. I'm going to have a meal with you. If I know your name, I probably know a bunch of other stuff about you too, don't you think? And I'm going to hang out with you. Why do I know it was a different way of treating sinners? Because of what the text says next. They grumbled against him. They grumbled against Jesus. Look, this man is going and fellowshipping with sinners. He shouldn't do that. We, the righteous, should get his time. We're better. But yet here's Jesus modeling the fact that he came to seek out the lost and bring them home. Verse 10 tells us, I came to seek and save those who are lost. Jesus wasn't afraid. You hear preachers say all the time that he wasn't afraid to get his hands dirty. Mother Teresa famously said, let us touch the dying, the poor, the lonely, and the unwanted according to the graces we have received. And let us not be ashamed or slow to do the humble work. You don't sense any shame in Jesus that he was calling down a sinner to bring him home. Jesus wasn't too good for Zacchaeus. Jesus is way too holy for all of us. That's why he came to earth and made his dwelling among us, so that we might have a way to God through himself. He said, here I am, come to me. Zacchaeus, you can't fix yourself. All that money you've got doesn't make you any taller. All the solutions you've got don't get you very far or else you wouldn't have been climbing this tree. But the amazing thing is that we've moved from a climb to a transformation because Zacchaeus received salvation through Jesus Christ. He didn't earn it. Nothing he did in his life could earn his, the salvation of Jesus Christ, but it was freely given to him. For it is by grace through faith in Jesus Christ that you have been saved, not by works so that any man can boast. Jesus shows this shepherd heart of God that cares for the lost by bringing salvation to a man that would have been despised by everybody. Nobody was going to really like this guy, Zach, most likely. And so Jesus calls him back to himself. And not only does he do that, but he shows us the shepherd heart of God by quoting what we'd seen already in Ezekiel 34, our call to worship this morning. Let me read to you just a couple verses again. I myself will tend my sheep and have them lie down. Remember Psalm 23, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. I will make them lie down in green pastures, declares the sovereign Lord. I will search for the lost and bring back the strays. Jesus knows there's a good chance this crowd knew at least the basic Old Testament, the the word of God at that point. And so they would have known that when he's quoting, I came to seek and save those who who were lost, their mind is thinking back to God's promise of a shepherd to care for his flock that was said in Ezekiel. And they're beginning either to have their eyes wide open to Jesus is that good shepherd 
Jesus is the one who cares and can meet my need that I can't even speak to. Or they could deny him and they could run away. In Zacchaeus' place, God's generosity was so much that he couldn't do anything but respond. And we see that so abundantly clear. We read in the scripture that Zacchaeus has received this miraculous salvation and his response is one of abundant generosity. His response is one of he sees already that he's now alive in Christ. You see, there's this rejoicing, this jubilant spirit. There's life in him. There's hope in him. He's now alive in Christ. And by the way, there's a typo in your sermon notes. It should say like it does on the screen, Ephesians 2, uh, not uh, 2 Corinthians 2. But he's also a new creation. The old has gone, the new has come. That's 2 Corinthians 5.17. Zacchaeus has been reborn. He's a new man. He's moved from chair one into chair two. And he's been begun the process of sanctification. He's been transformed and he couldn't help but respond. And he does so in the way that was most appropriate to demonstrate a heart change in him out of generosity because he doesn't just give back money. He gives back all out of all of his possessions, half of what I own, I'm giving it back. And what's amazing about this is it gives us this picture of sacrificial living Alliance International Church has a series of core values, one of which we say is sacrificial living. Because the thing is, we, we can talk about offerings. We could talk about what is the right number that you should give to the church to support the work of God and the ministry of the community we find ourselves in. But Jesus doesn't just want your money. He doesn't just want your stuff. He doesn't just want your time. He doesn't just want your skills. He wants all of it. And Zacchaeus said here, God, I am so grateful to be yours. I will repay back 400%. That is really bad economics. So he'd swindled people this much, but he's giving back more than he'd taken in. Because for this we have Jesus. He's all I need. And everything had been changed. But Zacchaeus' life hasn't stopped there. It's just begun. He responds out of love, out of gratitude, and out of hope. And he does the only thing he knows to do, give it away and follow Jesus. You flip a page before, and we've got the rich young ruler that couldn't let go of his stuff. We've got another tax collector that's told that he can follow Jesus earlier in the, in the book of Luke. But here we've got Zacchaeus. It says it's not about the stuff. It's not about the security. All it is is Jesus. For this we have Jesus. Zacchaeus' point of need, whatever it was, was met by Jesus Christ. Not because Zacchaeus had all the answers, but because he sought out Jesus and those who seek him will find him. But that brings a charge to the church as we help people find Jesus. That's our call. Our call is to invite people home. Remember our series on Hosea. And I was thinking of, you know, what's, what's that look like as a church? 
because we, we are very individualistic in how we do things. We, th- we think of ourselves, and if I read my Bible and if I pray every day, I will grow, grow, grow. And that's true, but God gave us the church, and he gave us abilities, and he gave us this call on our lives to build God's kingdom and do it together. And so it takes the work of a village to raise a disciple. And I was watching Facebook Live yesterday because I've been compelled for the past few months with this thing called Breaking 2. Anybody heard of it? It's not the old breakdance movie called Breaking 2, which is a terribly stupid movie. But if you like breakdancing, have fun. Breaking 2 was about man's pursuit to run 42 kilometers in under two hours. Let me give you perspective of what that looks like. When I was fit a long time ago, I was one of the fastest mile runners in my school and university. And I could run a mile in four minutes and 48 seconds. One mile. And it took every ounce of strength I had to get that 448. No, it didn't last very long. It was good at the time. Here's the deal. A group of runners that Nike had recruited were expected to work together to average for 26.2 miles an average pace of 4 minutes and 36 seconds per mile. The fastest I can run one mile, they're going to run 26. That's not fair. Now I can't even run it in under 7. And I think that would be very confident of me to do that. But see, the thing is, how Nike structured it was they built a team of runners... They expected there would be one to two to raise the bar and and, and be the leaders. But what they did is they built a V around them. So they broke some of the draft because at that pace, draft makes a difference. I wouldn't know. I can't run that fast. But they built a whole system to make sure the pace could be maintained and the the progress could be made and they were in it together and they finished the line and the lead runner that had led the way came across in two hours and 25 seconds. Just missing it. But as I watched the interviews and as they spoke their different languages of this team that raced around a Formula One racetrack for two hours and 25 seconds, every single one of them that was part of it used the common phrase, we did it. We got so close. We'll get there. We will get this done. We can achieve this. You see, when we want to help a disciple move from that come and see where Zacchaeus was looking for Jesus to finding him, we need to help that disciple grow. And the church has very specific responsibilities to these five things that your kids are going to ask you in a little bit. Here they are. We've got a responsibility to help people like Zach move to grow as healthy, generous, strong disciples. First, People need to know to whom they belong. Zacchaeus, you come down. I'm going to your house today. Verse 10, you are now a son of Abraham. You've been brought into the family. You are a child of God. You are no longer a slave to fear. You are a child of God. How many young Christians get so caught up in fear? How many of us worry about what will happen to our children, what will happen to our bank accounts, what will happen to our parents? 
that we lose sight that God knows exactly where we are. And for this, we have Jesus. I spoke with uh, a teacher friend that I serve that you all help me serve on a regular basis. And in one week, this was his week. He found out he had kidney stones, which for us men is apparently the closest thing you'll ever have to giving labor. So it scares us to no end. Women, you're amazing. It's probably nothing for you. But for a man, it's terrifying. And he was very afraid of facing kidney stones and passing that stone. The next day, he found out his mom was in the hospital and may not survive for very long. The day after that, he found out his dad was in the hospital and may not survive very long. The day after that, they had to make the decision that it was time to leave the mission field and go home and care for the family. This was a man that was grieving, that was in pain physically, emotionally, and that wondered he'd just taken on a new role. He was excited about what God had, and yet all of these things are converging at once. And he said to me, he said, Mike, I don't see how this all comes together. I just know I'm going in the right direction. Why? Because he knows who he is. My friend Don is in Christ, a new creation, and his faith has not wavered. He hurts, and we ache with him, but he's no longer a slave to fear. Not only do we know who we belong to, and we help our disciples understand that they are in the hands of the great shepherd, the great protector, but we also know that a disciple needs to learn to walk on their own. Much like when you're helping, we've had three little kids that have all hit just about that one-year age at the same time in our church, and each of them walked at different stages. But it's so fun to watch them do the, you know, and then all of a sudden they get it. And then they start to run, and then their parents start to look more and more tired. And we want to help our spiritual children not walk, but run toward Jesus Christ. Follow me, Jesus says. Walk with me. He continually invites people to come with him. That's the role of the church. Come with us as we follow Jesus. Paul made the bold statement, follow me as I follow Jesus Christ, follow my example. He's not saying that because he's so holy. He's saying that because his identity is secure. And he said, we're going to follow him together. And our gifts and the grace that God has given us will spur us on toward love and good deeds. Follow me as I follow the example of Jesus, he's saying. Not only that, but a good disciple has to be taught how to talk. Does that mean they need to learn how to say, this is thy will? No. If you like to read the King James, great. Explain it to me sometime. But they do need to learn how to talk about God's story at work in and through them. And this is the testimony. God has given us eternal life and this life is in his son. He who has the son has life. He who does not have the son of God does not have life. First John 5, 11 and 12. Now, can I tell you how Jesus has changed my life? Can I tell you how he gave me Jesus? And he said, I'm all you need. Disciples need to be taught to talk about God and about how he's changing their lives. The world needs to see that. A disciple also needs to learn to feed themselves, to hunger and thirst for God's righteousness that is only found one place. The great Christian rock band of the 80s and early 90s, Petra, taught us. 
and it's found in God's word. All scripture is God-breathed and is useful. We can stop right there. It goes on. It's useful for all sorts of things. But they need to be taught to feed themselves. What happens if we say, welcome to Jesus, figure it out on your own, and to oh, Chronicles, Leviticus, and nobody helps show them that every word here points to Jesus Christ, that every word here helps us to see there's a better way to live and that there's hope in relationship with a God that loves us. And out of his love, out of bringing glory to himself, he invites us into kingdom work for his namesake. And we're invited into that mission. And we're invited into being satisfied in him. We're invited into doing work with him, not against him. What if we were able to teach people that this book teaches us all of that and so much more? And finally, as we see in Zacchaeus' confession, just that I'm giving it all back, Lord. A true disciple needs to learn to clean themselves. And the only way we clean ourselves is to lay our sins at the foot of the cross and say, I'm no longer a slave to sin. I am a child of God. Uh, You see up there, because I didn't want to type out Campus Crusade for Christ, I typed out what they're now called, crew. They teach. And I remember, this is another big moment in my life. I was in fourth grade camp, I believe, or maybe it was fifth grade. I don't remember which year, but it was the year I broke my wrist falling out of bed at camp. And in that, moment, in that week, the speaker taught us this phrase of exhale sin, inhale forgiveness. I didn't know it at the time that that's a Campus Crusade statement, but it's in line with if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. We exhale, we say, God, I have sinned, forgive me. And we inhale the grace of God that transcends all understanding, acknowledging that he is in control, that our lives are all his. Remember at the beginning of our day, I asked you, does God have all of your attention today? When we enter into the Lord's Supper, which we're going to do in just one moment, I want to explain that confession is a huge part of knowing where the affections of our heart lie and knowing how we help a disciple move from chair one to chair two to chair three to chair four. Because if we can't sit down with them in their point of need and say that, you know, I struggled too, but I'm no longer a slave to sin. I'm no longer a slave to fear. I'm set free. I'm a child of God. If we can say that to others, they not only hear the words of Jesus, but they see Christ in us, the hope of glory. And they're invited to come with us on the journey. They might be right here, and they're trying to live in between both. And suddenly we've taught them that confession isn't laying a heavier burden on you. Confession is having Jesus set you free from the entanglements of sin and death that so easily ensnare. For you are a child of God. I finish with this. Jesus came to seek and save the lost. His words. How cool is that? 
The word became flesh and made his dwelling among us to seek and save those who are lost like you and like me that were searching for meaning and that meaning and purpose and hope and salvation are found in Jesus Christ. Therefore, I love therefores because it's what we're here for. We, the church, have to be a generous refuge for those Christ came to save. They might be dirty. We might not agree with their politics. We might not agree with fill in the blank. But Jesus looked at Zacchaeus, an extortionist most likely, and said, come on down, I'm having a meal with you. Let's eat and let me tell you about where real life is. Do we do that? Can people come in off the street to AIC and know they'll be loved? And know they'll be taught how to feed themselves? How to speak in a way that speaks the love of God? Teaching them to obey all his, God has taught us to obey? Teaching them to walk? Teaching them to confess? Teaching them to follow? You see, Jesus on the night he was betrayed took his disciples out for a meal. And I'll have Matthew uh, come forward. And we're going to move into a time of communion now. And he was having a, a very special meal. It's why it's called the Last Supper with his disciples. And you see, the thing about Jesus is often his most poignant truths are brought forth around food. That's so Hong Kong. Where do our best conversations happen, it seems? Around a dim sum table, around a big table, at the cha-cha thing, wherever we find ourselves. So one of the greatest conversations ever was found when Jesus gathered his disciples, all of them, even Judas. And he taught them, again, the power of the gospel to be set free from sin and no longer slaves. And he did it pretty simply. And I'm going to explain what he said, and then I'll invite everyone to come forward and partake together. But he started, and, and he didn't have cool little pre-produced communion wafers. He had a loaf of bread. It was probably unleavened. It was a Passover. And so it was kind of a flat bread, maybe not this flat. But he broke it. And he said, this body, referring to himself, is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Remember what I'm about to do for you. They didn't know exactly what was coming, but Jesus continues to teach them how to walk. He's discipling his disciples. He's shepherding them along the journey, teaching them to walk with him. Then he goes on and he says, and they probably had one cup. It was very traditional for them out of one cup. He takes one cup and says, this cup, this one is the new covenant in my blood. New covenant was a huge statement because it changed everything. The covenant for a Jewish person was the law. And Jesus is saying there's a new covenant and it's my blood and it's for the forgiveness of sins. Whenever you drink this cup, do it in remembrance of me. Paul adds just a few instructions. One, he says, I have praise for you, church, in Corinth, because you think that this meal, this Last Supper remembrance is all about making sure you get enough. 
that you're missing that Jesus is all you need and you've missed the point. And so at the end of his instructions on communion, Paul teaches the church that we ought to examine ourselves. Another way you could interpret that is really simply, we ought to Psalm 51 our hearts, asking God to search us, to know us, and to create in us a clean heart and renew a right spirit within us. And so what I'm going to invite you to do, I'll invite Matthew to come to the piano, I'll invite Mark and Doug to be our stewards, and then you'll have three aisles. But before you come and you take of the communion elements, examine yourself. Have you asked God to clean you, another song we like to sing, from the inside out? And then when you know that it's been laid at the foot of the cross, you're no longer a slave. You see, communion, the Last Supper, this is all for those who have been brought into the family of God. If you've accepted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, this is for you to celebrate and feast with God. Zacchaeus, come down. I'm going to eat with you today. Fill in the blank. You, come eat with Jesus today. For this, we have Jesus. Let me pray for us. Lord, I thank you for the story of a man like Zacchaeus that did not deserve your grace, but so much was given. And in the process, he was taught who he truly is to be found in you. He was taught how to talk, how to walk, how to feed himself. And you cleansed him miraculously as only you can do. So God, may we not lose sight of that. And Lord, as we remember the work that your son has done on our behalf, please don't let us keep it to ourselves. But may we freely give away what you have so freely given to us through Jesus Christ. It cost him so much to give us the free gift of eternal life, of relationship with you. In your name I pray, amen. When you're ready, I invite you to come forward. We'll have three aisles ready for you.
If you remember at the beginning of the message, I talked about big moments. Maybe this is one of those big moments for you. Maybe you've heard about Jesus a lot, but you don't know him the way Zacchaeus met him. You've not received the hope that can only be found through Jesus Christ, and you're still looking for the right tree to climb. Jesus says, come to me, and I will give you rest. Call on my name. Salvation is only found through me. What does salvation mean? But to be saved, to be set free from the bondage that just tangles us up so much. So I want to invite you, if this doesn't make sense to you, that's okay. But I want to invite you to know and enjoy and be welcomed in to the family of God. For all who call on the name of Jesus Christ will be saved. It's that simple. We confess with our mouths, believe in our hearts, we will be saved. For those of us in the church, when we eat this bread and we drink this cup, we're committing to a new covenant in his blood, a covenant that is for the forgiveness of sins, that gives us access to God the Father through the Son, empowered by the Holy Spirit, and that mandates us to passionately pursue others, to help them move from chair one to chair two to chair three to chair four that it's not about us. It's about bringing glory to God. And so that as we eat this bread and we drink this cup, we do so saying, I'm all in. For this, we have Jesus. Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, took the bread and he broke it. And he said, this bread is broken for you. Let's partake together. In the same way, after supper, he took the wine, the cup, the grape juice. And he said, this cup is a new covenant in my blood spilled for the forgiveness of sins. Whenever you drink this cup and eat this bread, you proclaim the Lord's death until he returns and we remember him together. Let's partake. If this was you this morning, I'm going to invite you to respond in the simplest way of all. I'm going to take a page from a much better preacher than myself, Billy Graham, and every time he would finish a service, he would finish it the same way by singing, well, usually it was a guy named George Beverly Shea would sing, I surrender all. Jesus wants all of you because he wants you to, he wants you to be living the life that he created you to live and to be known by him. So would you stand with us as we sing, I surrender all together. May that be the cry of our heart today.